Northern Seminary and the Center for Theological Integrity. This is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Reverend Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to the Pastor's Table. I'm Mark Quanstrom. And I'm Tara Beth Leach. And today we are so excited to welcome to the show Mindy Caliguire, who is the founder and CEO of Soul Care. And Mindy has been in ministry for quite some time now. And um, we're, we're going to hear a little bit of her story in a few moments. But this ministry, Soul Care, was born out of a passion to come alongside of leaders who are near near burnout um, or in burnout or want to prevent burnout because Mindy cares about the long haul. She wants to see ministry leaders and pastors flourish in ministry for the long haul. And so she has um, she has founded this incredible ministry, Soul Care. Mindy, we're so excited to talk to you because we know that a lot of our listeners on this podcast are on their own journeys, and maybe they've had glimpses or tastes of burnout, or I think that there's times when, um, you know, pastors, maybe they're there, they're burned out, but they continue on out of necessity because they have families to care for. And then I think sometimes um, some maybe don't even have the language for burnout. They know they're tired. They know they're apathetic. They know that they feel angry or maybe you know, different yellow or red flags are popping up in their lives and um, they aren't aware that maybe those are signs of burnout. And I think this is an important conversation. We we have um, had many different pastors over the last several weeks on the show talking about um, the importance of place. And some of the pastors that we've welcomed um, have been in their context for a very long time, um, which brings about its own challenges. Um, and, and, you know, these challenges for, for some pastors, um, it makes it hard to stay, but we've, we've been uh, talking with pastors who have stayed for the long haul. And I know that's something that you're interested in is, is helping, helping pastors in that space. Um, so that by way of a very long introduction, welcome, Mindy. We are so glad to have you. Thank you. I'm delighted to be with you guys and share your passion to see pastors and leaders you know, serving for the long haul from a place of health, not from such severe deficit, which mm-hmm. is often the case. And mm-hmm. They're faithful, they're obedient, they would never leave the faith, but they they don't really have a way of broadening out to think mm-hmm. about, is there more I should be paying attention to mm-hmm. besides just the operations of the church? So how did you end up doing what you're doing now? Because you ha- we weren't always... Uh, uh, you weren't always a CEO of Soul Care, which is for the tending to pastors, right? Yeah, yeah. How did you land in Soul Care? Yeah, it's been a really interesting journey. I I often have said that I felt like a, there were these like books and movies way back when about the accidental tourist or whatever, but I feel like I was an accidental missionary. Mm-hmm. I I didn't mean to start a thing. I really, in my own season of ministry and church leadership, when my husband and I were church planting uh, in Boston back in the 90s, um, I had a massive implosion of my own soul's well-being and so severe that I couldn't ignore it. I had physical symptoms that basically sidelined me for a season. 
And it was very disruptive to my mental models of what following God mm. and good leadership was supposed to be. And anyway, so that was sort of the beginning of me. I, I had no aspiration to start or lead a thing called soul care. I was just trying to learn to care for my own soul. That I was just trying to live. And oddly, you know, certainly the healthier your soul is, the the more your natural gifting and God's mm. ability to move through you starts mm -hmm. to awaken, not out of drivenness, but out of overflow. And through that journey of staying, tending to my own soul, I kept getting invited into more opportunities to help other people learn how to care for their own souls. I heard you say earlier prior to, uh, mm -hmm. prior to us starting, you know, means of grace, you know, there's different mm -hmm. ways that uh, God's people have referred to things that were intentional to, to keep us yielded and connected in real time to the living God. Um, but whatever term for me, that became, I got to learn how to take care of my own soul because I was getting really good at taking care of everything else. Mm -hmm. I had landed myself in a pretty big ditch. Over time, I had more opportunities to go to other places and churches and environments and help um, people and organizations be thinking about the care of the soul, the process of spiritual formation, all of these related topics. But just to put a little bit of a, 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 a wrap on this particular question, it was coming out, and I served at a tech company that's aligned to mission. I mean, I just have done a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. But in the pandemic was when I found the need for pastors and leaders, and frankly, a lot of other people, to start tending to the well-being of their soul was no longer like a, oh, if I have nothing better to do with my time, maybe I should think about that, which is exactly no one who's listening right now. Hmm. Um, it became an order of first priority for many people. And and so I just felt invited by God to be like, all right, it's it's time. I, I have had the URL. I've been teaching and consulting and working with these themes for decades um, but it had never been my full-time focus. And mm. so it's been a season of risk-taking and discovery and making mistakes and building team. And But as a team, we're just saying, what could we possibly do to try to meet the need that exists right there, right now, um, mm -hmm. with the level of openness that is currently the case? So honored to be with you guys because I know you're teeing up our conversations on the regular to that that matter for leaders, you know, place. I've heard a lot of big words <laughs> already this morning. And uh, I think it's vital and I'm delighted that you're including this in part of what you're bringing to leaders because I I believe it's I believe it's imperative and and not to sound melodramatic or whatever, but um, I think we've seen too many headlines of hmm. what can go terribly, terribly wrong with loss of life, loss of work, loss of family, when um, when we when we don't. There's a lot of conflating factors, right? But mm -hmm. some that seems to be a through line is somewhere along the way we've lost an imagination that caring for one's own soul is a necessary, vital part of life with God in general, and leadership in particular. Yeah. Well, and in many ways, Mindy, this is a result of a double-edged sword um, of the immense pressure that pastors are under 
mm-hmm. um, to perform under a model that demands um, results that look more like corporate metrics, right? And that pastor performs as CEO, uh, that pastors produce week after week a entertaining, attractive experience um, that produces results of many, many, many butts in the seat, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and what I mean by the double-edged sword, because on one end, you have pastors that are burning out as a result. And then on the other end, we're learning that this model, formerly known maybe as the attractional or church growth model, is also producing a very thin um, discipleship or spiritual formation within the congregation. And I know that, I understand part of your story is you, you discovered that in the early mid 2000s mm-hmm. um, when you were working at Willow Creek. I, I remember, so I was on staff at a church mm-hmm. and I remember um, the pastor talking through the great reveal and what Willow discovered. And it was groundbreaking then, you know. So Mindy, you were a part of that? I was in the room when uh, Greg Hawkins and Callie Parkinson and others, Aaron, I can't remember his last name right now, um, pulled the initial findings to the, like, I wasn't on the management team, right. but I was on the next tier of leadership. And there were probably 30 of us in the room. The okay, first- the great reveal was Willow Creek doing a self-study on discipleship. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, they were mm-hmm. just, they didn't mean to do it on discipleship. Right. They, they, I mean, Willow had every two years surveyed the church. Okay. They were always very, I mean, that's the whole way it started was, Let's ask people, what is your understanding of church? Like, so there was a, a long history of asking questions, mm-hmm. but uh, our communications director, Callie Parkinson at that time had a colleague from when she was uh, in corporate work at Allstate who had some new methodology for uh, research for conducting large surveys like this. And so he brought that methodology, had always wondered if it would help in a nonprofit context because he had been using this methodology in the for-profit space mm-hmm. and thought it might help break some ground in the nonprofit sector mm-hmm. as well. And so sure enough, they worked to design, did a whole qualitative study initially, turned that into a quantitative study about people's experience of their sort of spiritual life at hmm. church, which had been asked again for many years, do you yeah. attend this? Do you, are you part of a small group? Do you tithe? Like all those were the traditional questions that would be asked pretty consistently. Well, based on Eric Arnson, that's his name, Eric's um, sort of methodology, uh, a different way of getting to those initial questions was done. And then they did a First draft, can you imagine a 200 question survey went out to, and 6,000 people responded to 200 questions. Wow. People spent like <laughs> 45 minutes, hour or more answering thoughtfully these very, very, very fresh and important questions. Okay. But can you imagine trying to digest what 200 times 6,000 6, data points is telling you? And they, again, to their credit, it was a really interesting body of research. And I'm happy to say more about it. I don't want to take too much of our time. But they 
took that and the only person who finally raised their hand, because this is very expensive data analysis to do, it would have cost probably $250,000 to be done anywhere else. And for, I think, either 10% of that or 10,000, I don't remember what it was, but some very, very reduced rate. Um, a gentleman in a market research company that was used to synthesizing that kind of, I mean, it was like a blizzard of data. You could not yeah. look at it and, and right. you're even looking at. It. Yeah. And they took it and turned 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 it, which is why you have to keep looking at it. Like, where do we see yeah. patterns? Where do we see any, like, does this seem to differentiate? Does this differentiate? Does this, does this, does this? And in the end, there was only one question that caused all of the data to align and flip so that it had a predictable pattern. And that one question was about people's, um, how was it phrased? Level of, I don't know if this is how the question was phrased, but mm -hmm. what we ended up calling it in the end was people's level of surrender to the person of Jesus. Wow. When wow. you looked at all of the behavior, attitude, um, practices, all those, when you looked at all of that through the lens of someone's deepening surrender, not to the agenda of the church, not to a lot of different things, but only to the person of Jesus, everything started to line up. And so the mm. findings coming out of that, uh, I've, I became very familiar with it, got to know the team. I started grabbing the findings and using them when I was consulting and teaching with church leaders because it made a very compelling case, which I'd always been trying to do, for the fact of spiritual formation. Wow. This isn't yep. just a nice concept that people in ivory towers go and read dusty old books and think about. There is lost and found, but there were, now we had all this incredible data. And of course, you know, within years, hundreds of churches and then thousands yep. of churches had taken it. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't about Willow. Um, but it wasn't just lost and found. It was lost and stages of found. Mm. Right. Those mm -hmm. stages of found right. were marked by some pretty significant what would be present here but absent here and present here but absent here and began to suggest a pathway. And so not only did that sort of like trajectory of growth um, exist, but the people at the farthest edges of deepest surrender to the person of Jesus were, those are the world changers. Those are the mm. ones who are, yes, they are tithing, they're mentoring, they're, they are holding the rest of the church together. Mm -hmm. So it matters that people get to these later stages. It's not mm -hmm. just like recreational if you have nothing better to do with your time. Like a church, in, and those are the most evangelistically active, which is against our sort of general thinking about evangelism. It's mm -hmm. like the whole future of the church is about people who are deeply surrendered to the person of Jesus. Wow. So then how do you build those kinds of people? And that's where spiritual practices, ways to care for your soul, had a central location in this spiritual journey of those who are in Christ. So I started grabbing that data, pulling it right and left and and showcasing it when I was trying to convince executive teams of churches, like you should care about helping your people understand spiritual practices, huh. not because they're navel gazing, not because they're all these things that people are worried about. But in fact, this is a critical point of the journey. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck with a lot of people who show up every week and they'll do rah-rah mm. 
but mm-hmm. they are mm-hmm. not going to be the ones who, you know, as the scriptures talk about, to turn the world upside down. They, they will not. They don't have the interior structure. They don't have the scaffolding of the soul to hold them up to a sacrificial life. So for a church to be transformational in the community, mm-hmm. it has to provide for spiritual formation among its people because the most mature believers are the most transformative. The most mature believers, the ones most surrendered to Christ, to use your language, are the ones most effective as witnesses of and to the Christ. Yes. And the great reveal at Willow Creek was they weren't doing a very good job of it. Now, that's not a critique uh, only located at Willow Creek. Correct. But but the model of Willow Creek does not lend itself to spiritual formation of persons. Most Willow would be one of many that I would Mm -hmm. say mm -hmm, was not intentionally prioritizing the spiritual formation. And and as Willard created a whole thing at the Wheaton Theology Conference, we were not, the church at at large, and this does get to like the whole point of salvation, so I know we'll get there at some point, but like the church at large does not see spiritual formation as a necessary part of salvation. And that was Mm. the title. Right. Well, that's popular evangelicalism, right? Yes. That's popular yep. evangelicalism. Yes. Precisely. Wow. Precisely. And so if your mental model is your job is to get as many people to cross that line, cross that line Correct. of faith, right? If that's, then everything else is sort of secondary. That's, that's just like, right. you know, it's about the ticket to, to heaven. Yeah. Try to get everybody to behave well. But like the main thing is this. Yep. And until we, undo that what do we think the main thing is then we don't have a rhetoric or an imagination for why this transformational journey matters so very much but that sounds like a whole lot of work yeah That's a, that's just a whole lot of work. That requires a whole lot of thinking, and that requires a level of commitment on the part of the pastor. Yes. That, oh, I mean this, and and furthermore, you're 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 calling people to, um, what you eventually have no control over. You're, um, but there also is in your commitment to providing a church that is spiritually formative. Uh, that's where the connection with the pastor's own personal. Yeah. spiritual formation happens right yeah. so yeah. if we're maybe if we're maybe if we're work, working from a wrong model of soteriology for the people then that's going to incline us then to uh neglect our own souls so the so the so the call to be the call to lead a church that is spiritually formative would also include a call for us to be spiritually formed ourselves does that make sense what i'm saying yeah, and that's there's a connection why... between burnout and this this model of Christianity that does not lead to transformed believers. I'm thinking out loud here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I appreciate it. I I love these kinds of conversations. I I I, I want to go back to one of your points. You said that sounds really hard. Yeah. I think we are seeing right now what's really hard. Go for it. What's really hard is that ministry out of deficit 
is not sustainable. It kills our own right. soul. It kills our families. It kills wow. congregations. I think we're also seeing what's really hard is that congregations are not filled with people whose way of life inspires lost people to want to know more about Jesus. Yes. Writ large. Writ large. I'm not saying that's true everywhere. I get it. Yeah. Wow. So if we are saying that being shaped into the person, the character, like the kinds of people who predictably are marked by love and joy and peace right. and patience, like I've heard of these things before. Yes. They're somewhere right. in the Bible. <laughs> somewhere in the Bible. <laughs> right. Against such things, there is no law. Right. Those, those kinds of people can endure suffering. They can actually care for the other. They can forgive. They can they they move and and for centuries that's what people who were marked by those characteristics have done and the world is wow. a different place because of it wow i think what's hard is what we're living in right now i think i think what's hard is an untenable definition of what it means to be a leader of a mm -hmm. church mm -hmm. like you said earlier they have to be the the ceo they're a, they're a property manager they are a real estate expert they have to become a marketing expert. They're a communications expert. And never mind that everybody can go home and or not show up at all, go watch Andy Stanley or reruns of Willard. Or I mean, the world is no longer about gatherings so that an expert can explain what the Bible says. And that has been our model for many years. And the church model changes, you know, I don't know, Phil sure about every 500 years. I don't know if we're in a cusp of one of those, but I do believe that the model that most pastors who are probably listening right now, they wake up every day contending for stuff that you'd be hard pressed to say that is a definition of a New Testament leader. Oh, so, mm. so the production quality on a Sunday morning was never mentioned by any of the New Testament church leaders. And the, I'll leave that for you two to discuss. <laughs> I feel like I've already said enough. You guys can take it. <laughs> no, no. So, 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 so much of what we measure the worth of what we're doing by yeah. is irrelevant to what the New Testament measures the leader by the yeah. worth of what the leader does by. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, totally. And I think one of the challenges, like we come by it honest, nobody, nobody sat around and tried. Correct. To We're not, we, right. to, you know, like jettison everything that matters. It, right. we, you know, there's a, a challenge, I think in the English language, that is the, the, the word church itself. And I think it is a, um, I think the word is a homonym where it's spelled mm -hmm. the same and sounds the same, but it means different things. So mm -hmm. let's not think mm -hmm. about church for a minute. Think about the word country. The word country could mean a, a nation state, North Korea. It right. could mean a kind of music that you choose right. to. It could mean, uh, as opposed mm -hmm. to urban, uh, you know, there's mm -hmm. out in the country. And it's the same word used spelled the same, sounds the same, everything, but has wildly different meanings. Like those are very, very different meanings. Yeah. And we have a similar challenge in the use in English of the word church. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for example, church means, um, I want you to come to church with me. Well, what right. do we mean? 
you, we're coming to the service that starts at nine and Tara Beth mm -hmm. is and whatever. Okay. So there's mm -hmm. church and then there's, uh, I'll meet you at church and mm -hmm. it's, you know, a certain road on a certain time and building and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then there's the, oh, it's an evangelistic church or it's a seeker church or it's a, mm -hmm. really you're sort of referring to the org chart of the church. It's the staff and the teams and like, what do they, what do they do and who are they? It's not really about one service. It's not really about the building. It's about the, the leadership. But none of those are the ecclesia. None of those are the mm -hmm. called out ones. There's a lot of different language that I've mm -hmm. heard put around that. And you guys are much more scholarly on this than I, but that's the people. Right. And so when you say like a study, like reveal, how is church or how is your church reveal suddenly gave us a way to assess this for years. We've been able to say and judge and, and, um, and compensate and hold accountable. How are the services? Was the teaching solid? Was this, was the scripture upheld in the correct way? Were the transitions good? Did mm. the worship align to whatever? Okay. Mm. So we can evaluate church. Yeah. And we can evaluate church. Is there sufficient parking? Is the, you know, is there enough childcare rooms? Is there seating that is comfortable and are the acoustics correct? It's about the building. Does it represent Jesus well in our town or our city? Um, then there's the staff, you know, do we have job descriptions? Do we have hiring and firing practices? Do we have like, do, are, are we missionally aligned? Do we have the right vision? All of those things are good questions, but still, you can evaluate all those things and adopt corporate metrics for mm -hmm. a lot of those, which could be good, but could be when it becomes an adventure missing the point, that's when it's no longer good. I have, uh, I've spent years studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's Ooh. one of my favorite um, just pieces of scripture um, to work through, to reflect on. It has meant so much to me personally. Um, it's meant so much to me as a student um, and as a pastor and as a Christian. And the Sermon on the Mount doesn't mess around. Like Jesus does not mess around in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, in the words of Scott McKnight, he says that they are piercing and should make anyone reading it squirm. Uh, when we read it, we wonder, does Jesus really mean that? <laughs> like, surely, like, we shouldn't literally love our enemies. Um, surely we shouldn't literally pray for those who persecute us and on. Um, surely we shouldn't be really like Jesus when he said we should be perfect as a heavenly father is perfect, like perfection. Like that's wild. So anyway, Jesus, you know, spends, you know, what we now know is, is a few chapters, five, six, seven, and then in the beginning of eight, of calling the people of God to this surrendered life to Christ that you're talking about. And at the very end, he does this altar call moment, right, where um, he tells this story of, of someone who builds two different kinds of houses. One is on a sandy foundation, and when the storm comes, it cannot withhold the storm. And the other is on the solid foundation, and when that storm comes, it is able to withstand the winds and the waves. And, you know, this altar call moment for Jesus is anyone who lives this and what you are articulating is a surrendered life to Christ is like the one who builds the house 
on the solid foundation. Hmm. And I, I can't help but just keep thinking about this call as we are reflecting on different church models, Mindy. Um, and I think by the grace of God, like has the spirit of God been rescuing people through our faulty, sandy yes. church models? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. I would not be standing here. Like God is going to work and transcend all of our sandy foundational um, church models, like praise God, like God is going to transcend all of that. Mm -hmm. And also, I do think the sand is shifting. I do think that um, we have built um, models um, and frameworks for how to do this thing called church, as you say. And for us, it's um, many of us for, well, at least for me, um, I was formed early on um, in school as I was studying to go into ministry on this idea that success if, is if you get butts in the seat and if you can get people there and win them for the Lord um, and then just keep going. I was not in the early 2000s. I was not thinking a whole lot about spiritual formation. I was one of those that was I, I was passionate about evangelism because I wanted others to experience Heart. the same Jesus that I experienced. Totally. And I do think that with this shifting, like God is shifting his people to consider something so much more robust mm -hmm. that will have evangelistic fruits. Um, I do believe that. Yeah. yeah I do too. there to support it. Yeah. And I think, I, I, you know, back to this, like what's hard and what's not hard. Yeah, let's stay with that for a little bit. I, I, I think that. Well, and I've lived it, and I, I think the 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 bulk of you guys both could probably bear witness to this in your own lives as well. When you're living, anchored in real time, to the living God, does John fifteen? This is uh, this is being grafted in, receiving mm -hmm. our life from this source of life going through this point of connection and out and causing whatever kind of growth is unique to us in our brain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That the only thing hard in that equation is staying connected. Yes. Mm. And that is hard in our very highly distracted internal lives and external lives. Mm -hmm. But if we do that work of staying connected and let that be what's hard, I believe the hope for, long-term service in a local community, be it an inner city environment that has its own kinds of challenges or a, a rural, very small town. I grew up in a very small town. There was more seats in Willow's auditorium than there were people in my hometown. Mm. Like the, the, that, those contexts, um, it almost doesn't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. And we have the grace moment by moment to to take on the challenges of the day mm. and we begin to reorient around contending for the right kinds of things in our, in our community's lives, in our people's mm -hmm. lives. Mm -hmm. We start caring about the right kinds of things. And I, I will say the, the financial pressures that have been introduced by our current models of ministry, they have become, I think the biggest driver of why we try to get people to come back and why it becomes the high production value and why we try to entertain or coerce or whatever terrible words we might use to describe mm -hmm. how desperate it starts to get 
when we have that level of financial pressure. I was talking to a, 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 a church leader from England. We were talking about church in the U.S. I mentioned a, a, a church uh, of not considerable size that carried a $4 million debt on their facility, right? And her response immediately was, how could the pastor ever preach a prophetic word having to serve that debt? Yes. Mm. So in, in her mind, as a, a woman pa a pastor, in her mind, um, calling people to Christ-likeness took priority over calling many people to serve a church. If that makes, I mean, that's just what one way to say it. Is, it is just the economic realities of it. Correct. And yeah. I think, you know, this was something I remember Dallas speaking about uh, that he felt that the financial pressures of the current model made it almost impossible for leaders to stay the course in their mm. faithfulness to that prophetic message. Wow. And it, it's, you know, in the, the debt, the, I mean, it's, it is, it was overwhelming and it is hard to live in those unforced rhythms of grace when you could right. do everything if all the money doesn't come in. Hey, thanks for joining us today for the first part of four conversations we get to have with Mindy Calguire. You know, what a foundation she's helped us set to understand how to live a transformational soteriology in our churches. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of these powerful conversations we have on the pastor's table. And also one more thing before you go, if you're listening, when this episode drops, it's Pastor Appreciation Month. We couldn't let this moment pass without you knowing how much we appreciate what you do. This whole podcast was created because of you, because we believe in you and the important work that you're doing. Many of you have told us about the hard times and ministry that you're facing, the transitions that you're going through, or you're having to navigate situations you never anticipated. No matter what you're going through, we want you to know that you're appreciated and you're deeply valued. We are grateful to be with you on this journey of pastoring, and we ask for God's richest blessings on the gift of ministry that is your calling. And until next time on the pastor's table, may the Lord bless you.